in El Salvador. She's feeding the hungry. She's reaching the lost. She's ministering to the poor, feeding the poor. And she's being used by God to add souls to the kingdom daily, which is an incredible testimony. Janice has a burden for the lost. And God has opened incredible doors for her to minister to MS-13 and MS-18 gang members. And she may share a little bit of that with you. I'm not sure, but it's an incredible testimony. She works very closely with the Joyce Myers Ministries, and together they're getting the word of God into the hands of gang members. They're getting the word of God into the lost soul so that they can have that to feast on in the privacy of their own homes. Um, it was only a couple of years ago that I had the incredible opportunity to go to El Salvador and spend a week alongside Janice, and it was one of the most incredible weeks of my life, and I will never forget it, and it changed my heart. It changed the way that I see certain situations and certain people, and um, I am thankful for that opportunity. She's doing an incredible work for the kingdom of heaven. So tonight, it's with great honor and a great privilege that I get to introduce Janice Watkins to you. So would you please make her feel welcome? Amen. Amen. Glory to the Lord. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. We're, we're family here tonight, guys. Um, like Pastor Kent mentioned this morning, I'm an old Ninth and Cedar gal. So, um, how many Ninth and Cedar people are here tonight? Oh, wow. Hey, that's pretty good. <laughs> they followed you around. <laughs> Let's hope you're following the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. No, I, thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. Kent, Pastor Kent, and Sister Jenny, Pastora Jenny, uh, thank you. I am always honored um, to stand behind the pulpit of a man and woman of God such as you guys. And um, this is a wonderful church that you are continuing to build. Um, you're reaching this community. Every time I come, there are more and more faces that I don't know. So that's a good thing. And um, I just bless you guys, and I honor you tremendously for what you're doing for the kingdom. So um, thank you for this opportunity to be here tonight. Um, you know, I've lived in El Salvador for going on 13 years now, and I always made the promise to myself that I was never going to come back during cold weather. And so... Um, some, yeah, right, exactly. So um, uh, I had some issues, uh, legal issues that needed to be taken care of here for something we're trying to do in El Salvador. And I have, a, I have a board of directors here, and they're like, you really need to come and take care of this now so that we can press on with what we need to do there. And so I scheduled my trip. If I'm thinking February is pretty safe. And I get here, and uh, uh, yeah, there's no words. <laughs> So I'm packing for my trip, and I'm looking at the forecast, and I'm standing in front of my closet, and I've got, no, I've got four three-quarter length sleeves and this vest. And so I came on the 8th of February, and uh, the following week I spent four days without ever even stepping outside of a house. And so um, this is why I will not be back in January or February. <laughs> If the, unless the Lord really directs me to do so. So um, I appreciate you guys having it nice and warm in here tonight. And for it warming up outside, that is a huge blessing. I go back to El Salvador on Tuesday, and I will probably kiss the ground when I get there because it's going to be 85. And so I'll be praying for you guys. <laughs> Uh, but it truly is an honor to be here. It's always an honor to share what the Lord is doing in El Salvador. Uh, Brother Steve, when we were putting this together, he's like, do you want to show photos or anything? I'm like, you know, every photo I have from last year, people wearing a mask. 
So you can't um, see their expressions, you can't see their faces, and so um, I decided not to do that tonight. Um, just to give you a brief touch on how El Salvador has been handling the COVID, um, we actually had the longest official lockdown in the world. We went into lockdown on March 13th and came out of semi-lockdown August 24th. And so we're talking everything closed except a supermarket, a pharmacy, and a bank in your zone. And so it's been horrific. It's been a challenge for us to do ministry in that. But let me tell you, God is faithful. Um, we were able to um, do things differently. He, he gave us creative ideas and creative ways of doing things and opened doors to do things differently. Um, our lockdown was such that it was like a military style. And so you, in your, everyone was assigned a zone where you lived. You had a paper from the government saying where you lived, what your address was and all that. You were required to carry this paper anywhere you went. And so uh, if you went out of that zone, they could, they could arrest you and put you in a detention center for 30 days. And so it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty unnerving. Uh, you could only go out on days that, you know, like if, you're, if your driver's license or whatever ended in a seven, there was a certain day that you could go out based on your number of your identification. Um, I, I remember one day, so in our zone where we lived, we had a grocery store and a pharmacy and a bank, okay? And so, but we also have, in El Salvador, we have like, it's, a, it's like a Costco, okay? But that is not in my zone, but I was allowed to go there because I didn't have one in my zone, okay? So I remember this day, I go to our Costco, I'm stocking up, you know, what supplies we need for the month, and I really, from the Costco, there's this little grocery store that always has really good things that I like, and there's not that grocery store in my zone, and so I'm like, it's just a couple of blocks, I'm going to go over, so I drive over there, and right before the parking lot where I'm going to pull into this little grocery store is a military checkpoint. <laughs> And so, of course, the, the, uh, the uh, soldiers stop me. I mean, they've got their big guns and all their gear and all this stuff. And he asks for my papers, and I show him my papers. And he looks at him, and he says, why are you here? This is not your zone. And I'm like, I really want to go. I mean, I did. I said, I really want to go to that little grocery store right there. I could see the parking lot of this grocery store. And he's like, ma'am, you need to turn around and get out of here right now. And so I turned around, and I got out of there right then. I mean, it's just you just didn't mess around with it. And so... Um, you know, there's some discrepancy in numbers of cases in every country. That's how I'll address that. And so um, on our end, the cases were underreported, drastically underreported because people couldn't get a test. You weren't allowed to go to the hospitals. We operate two full clinics. Our clinics were, had to close. The government closed all clinics. The idea, I kind of understand it, I don't like it, but the, I was, uh, the idea was to minimize exposure. So if someone came to our clinic, they could expose our doctors and we were gonna to have to refer them to the COVID hospital. So they eliminated that, um, but it cut out our, our way of ministering to people because that's what the clinics are for, is to minister to people. And so um, the cases in our, in, our, in our area, in our country were underreported. The government would say, oh, like seven people died today but the news would show a photo of a mass grave in the cemetery. And so we know that a lot of people died. Um, we lost doctors initially. The, the first, I'm sorry, the latest count I had was we lost 56 doctors to COVID. Um, we lost the only pediatric neurologist in the country. And that's irreplaceable in a country that has limited resources, limited education. And so we've lost things that are valuable that are gonna take a while to replace. Um, I don't know any family that was not affected 
by uh, a loss in El Salvador. So it was hit really hard, especially in the areas where people are jammed together, living together. There's, you know, there's not a lot of resources, there's not a lot of free air, there's not a lot, you know, not running water and those kind of things. And so um, it was difficult. People were suffering. People are still suffering. The number of businesses, I know the same as, it, this is universal. The number of businesses that are closed. I mean, I'm driving through some places in St. Louis and I'm shocked at the businesses that are closed. And so I know everyone is hurting. I realize that. But at the same time, God still wants us to reach out. He still wants out to reach out to those who are hurting. And so we had to get creative in how we do ministry. And so because one of the things that people needed first and foremost was food. Because nobody was working. And so in El Salvador, there's no unemployment. There's no stimulus package. There's no nothing. And so if you're out of a job, you're, you, you've got nothing. And so I couldn't, uh, before I would take my, my truck and drive to the big open markets, stock up on 100 bags of beans, 100 bags of, 100 bags of rice, something like that, and then we would go and distribute them. Well, legally, I couldn't go to those places anymore. So I was kind of stuck, and I couldn't get to, to, the, to the, the other people of our teams who, were, who would normally help us with this. And so we, we did two things. So one, I would go to the bank in my section, in my zone, and I would deposit money in the accounts, and the other guys in the other zone would go get it out, and they would buy within their zone. So you just have to be creative ways of doing it. And then the other way is the Lord opened a door. He, he's so amazing. He opened a door of a guy who lives right in my neighborhood who had a special license to prepare and buy food bags. So we're buying these big old bag of foods, and the guy's delivering them right to my door. It cannot get any easier than that, because so, I couldn't go and do it. But this is, you know, God's like, I got this. If you're willing to go out and still do ministry, I've got this. I've, I've already prepared the way. So we were able to still go out and do that. Um, we, we have all the, the literature that, that Sister Rhonda mentioned that we were able to get into the hands of people because there was no church services. Many churches are still closed legally because of their size or something. I, I, I told Pastor Kent and Sister Jenny that this morning was my first church service in a year. You talk about being blessed this morning. I mean, I have not been in a service in a year. And so... You guys count your blessings that you're in a service. I don't care, mask or not, you better count your blessings that you're in a church service because some places in the world you still cannot do it. And so um, for us to be able to give a book that has the plan of salvation that would help people say, you know, how to deal with depression, how to deal with loneliness, how to deal with fear, all of these different topics that we're blessed to have with these books that we were able to share with every bag of food. And so we came through this um, through the end of August, um, and then you could things partially began to open. Still, the clinics couldn't open until sometime in September, um, and people started coming to our clinics. They hadn't had blood pressure medicine in almost a year. They hadn't had their diabetes medicine in almost a year, because people were telling us that I didn't want to go to the hospital, because if I went, I knew I wasn't coming back. And so, because if you went to the hospital, you were going to die of COVID. I mean, it was just the way it was. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people in El Salvador have respiratory problems already. They have diabetes already. And so they have a lot of the underlying conditions that make it difficult to recover from COVID. And so um, all of this was going on. But when we reopened the clinics, I'm telling you, people were hungry for Jesus. They all, I'm telling you, they all knew someone who had died or who had been affected by this thing that happened, and they were ready to hear about the Lord. They're like, I 
this, I remember this one lady told us, I lost family members, and I want to know if I die where I'm going to go. So we have like an open door to share the gospel now in a way that we never had before because people are, they're, they're scared. They're truly scared. And so uh, even the, Rhonda mentioned the gang guys. So we had to suspend. I don't know if you guys remember from previous times that I was here. It's been almost a year and a half, two years. Um, we were able to do a Bible study with the MS-18 gang guys. So we had 30 members of these, 30 leaders of these gang guys having a Bible study every 15 days. And they were faithful. I mean, that's one thing about the gang guys. If they say they're going to do something, they will do it, good or bad. And so, yeah, good or bad, I'm telling you, it's true. And so I, I could tell you so many stories about that, but I'll focus. Um, they, uh, they committed to it, and they came faithfully, and they were loving it. Well, then we had to suspend it. And so after the quarantine started to lift, these guys in October are come, coming to us and saying, when can we start our study again? And we were kind of surprised because we didn't know, one, if they were going to be willing to let us in again because we, our feeding programs were closed. We weren't able to go in and, and to feed the kids like we were doing. We weren't able to take in our medical clinics. We weren't able to do anything with them. And so we're like, yeah. And so the Bible study has, has uh, began again. And so the guys are faithful. They're loving it. And I'm really praying and believing that this has been a time for them to see because they lost members. They lost members of their gang to the, to the COVID. Some of them lost wives. They lost mothers and things like that. So we're viewing this as an opportunity that the Lord has given us to once again, share the gospel with them. Because you know how I feel. If we can win them to the Lord, we can change the country. So pray for that because that's a wonderful opportunity. But um, in all of this, that the, that this time where we had to um, revamp and regroup, um, at the end of the year, I'm, I'm, always, I'm, I'm not a numbers gal throughout the year because I don't like to keep tabs on you know, what we're doing and all that's too, too much if I can help it. But um, at the end of the year, I always make a summary of what the Lord did that year. And so in a, in a COVID year, when we were shut down, we still treated 3,729 medical patients. That's a lot. I mean, we would normally do probably twice that, but this is the number of medical patients we treated. We treated 276 dental patients. We gave away 10,842 prescriptions. People need medicine. When we give them a medicine, we're sharing the love of Jesus with them. We say, you take this in the name of Jesus. We tell them that. All of our doctors and nurses have to be able to lead someone to the Lord or they're not on the team. And so that was a wonderful, uh, a wonderful blessing for us. We gave away 27,853 meals. That's a lot of food. <laughs> So what we would do is we would bag up a, food, a bag of food and take it to a family. And this bag would have a food for at least two weeks. And so we also started doing that with our children's feeding programs because we still don't know when we're going to get to open our children's feeding program. We have heard the date September of this year, have no idea. We don't have the, the vaccine yet in El Salvador. Um, today we're having elections in El Salvador, which is extremely critical of what could happen today that will you know, really determine the, the road that our country goes from here on out. And so um, what we started doing is every month giving a child a food basket. And so that basket has, you know, powdered milk, cereal, vitamins, all this kind of stuff to sustain them uh, for that time that, that, that as much as we can. And so we're, we were blessed to be able to do that. And I remember the first time, um, uh, you know, I, try, I really tried to be very safe and cautious 
um, and not get sick because I wanted to continue doing ministry, obviously. And so I was very cautious. I would try not to go around groups of people. And But when the first month that we were going to actually have the kids come and pick up their bags, I said, I'm just going to drop them off and, and, and not... Uh, not be a part of the the, the, the event, the, the the meeting. Well, I walked in and the kids were already there. They came a half an hour early and they all came running up to me. It was just like, we haven't seen you, we haven't seen you. And I said, I didn't care. I'm hugging all those kids. And so they know that Jesus loves them. They know that someone is loving them, that someone is thinking of them, that someone is caring about them. Now, can you tell me that in a few months or even a couple of years that they're going to remember that during this time when mom and dad wasn't working, that Jesus sent someone to them with a food basket? They're going to remember that. So it's all about reaching and sharing the love of Jesus. So we also were able to give out 3,795 of these great Joyce Meyer ministry books. I mean, that's a huge blessing for us to have that literature to put into someone's hand that we wouldn't normally have. There's no way we could afford to print and do these numbers of books. So that's a huge blessing. But my favorite number of all is we had 356 souls won to the Lord. That's 356 celebrations in heaven because of what the Lord did. So I'm excited about that because even in a year where we were shut down in our homes, couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere, God was still working. He is always still working. And I know a lot of us probably view last year as a setback or an interruption to our lives. Am I the only one? Yes. It was a, a time where we sometimes felt like we were taking two steps back, one step forward. Couldn't do the things that you planned to do. How many plans did you as a church have to rearrange, cancel, postpone, all of these things? And so, you know, we have ourselves scratching our heads and saying, why? Why do these things happen? Why do interruptions come into our lives? Why do setbacks come into our lives? And so I, I think that the Lord wants to say tonight to us that sometimes I have a plan. I think most of the time he has a plan, to be honest. But I think he wants to say, you know, sometimes I do have a plan. And, and it may not be something that you expected or anticipated, but he still has a plan. It may not look like we thought it was going to look like, but he's still going to have a plan. And so we all believe that God has a good future for us as a church and as individuals. Amen? He has our best interests. So sometimes it seems like there are setbacks and reversals and things that are just out of our control. How many saw COVID coming? And how many thought they had control over it? None of us. We didn't have any control over it all. But we have to remember that his plan is not our plan. Do you think COVID took God by surprise? Absolutely not. So his plan is not our plan. But sometimes these setbacks and these reversals can be divine. They can be divine. I think that sometimes that we start rebuking the devils, we start crossing ourselves, we start throwing around the holy water, we start doing all these things to try and fix the situation, and it's not even the devil that's doing anything. God may be in the middle of our business wanting to teach us something, wanting to show us something, 
And we have to be open to, to, to believe that. We have to be open to divine intervention in our circumstances. I think we give the devil way too much credit sometimes for what's going on in our lives. Because it's easier to blame the devil than it is to say, okay, God, what do you want to show me? I would much rather say, get out of here, devil, and try and rebuke him. But if my circumstances aren't changing, I need to say, okay, God, is this you? Are you in the middle of this? Oftentimes, it is God who has intervened in our situation. And he's about to do something miraculous. He's about to do something miraculous. A divine interruption or a divine rehearsal is not necessarily a setback. We think it is, but it's not. It could be a divine setup for something even more powerful, bigger, more intense than we ever could have imagined or even asked for. So he's got a, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a plan. I want us tonight to take a look at a story that is extremely familiar, I imagine, with almost everyone here tonight. But it's found in chapter, in, in, sorry, in book, uh, the book of Luke. Lucas, si quieres, Lucas. Uh, Luke, Luke 8, verse 41. It is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. We all almost all know that story. So if you want to open your Bible to that, I'm going to read a, a few verses here and there, but then I'm also going to just kind of walk us through the story because I, there's a story here that I think there's things that Jesus taught Jairus in this story and that I think he is teaching us to how to look at setbacks and interruptions in the plan that we have. When we feel like we've taken one step forward and two back, could God be up to something? That's what I want us to know. How do we deal with that? I mean, reversals are real. Setbacks are real. But are they God or are they the devil? So I want us to look at one tonight where I believe that it's God and God had a plan. So Luke 8, 41. Um, I'm reading out of the, the New King James Version. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So let's look at this for a second. So Jairus was a, was a church leader. He's probably one of those Pharisees that Pastor Kent spoke about this morning. So, but he was a religious leader, a well-respected man in the community. And he went to Jesus and fell down at his feet. Can you imagine a religious leader going and falling down at his feet? Not only falling down at his feet, but begging. I mean, he was begging for the life of his daughter. This guy really had to humble himself. His daughter was only 12, and she was dying. But the great part of this is, is that Jesus agreed to go. Sometimes when we humble ourselves, we get God's attention. But if we continue in the story, <laughs> this, is, this is great. So... Jesus has agreed to go, and along comes this woman with the issue of blood. Now, the Bible tells us that she's also had this issue of blood for 12 years. And she comes along, and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And what happens? She's immediately healed. Praise the Lord for that. But all of the sudden, the whole procession stops. The whole thing stops. The healing of Jairus' daughter is being delayed. It's being postponed. He had to learn that the road to better is not always a smooth road. He was looking for a healing, but it wasn't going to be smooth to get there. Sometimes there are setbacks. Sometimes there are interruptions. There are things that we don't plan on that come in the way. 
Come on. Sometimes we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We're paying our tithes. We're attending church. We're doing Bible study. We're leading classes. We're doing a small group. We're doing all that. And all of a sudden, bam, something comes that interrupts the plan. It interrupts my plan. It interrupts what I wanted. It's an interruption for me. And the whole plan starts to fall apart. So let's just think about Jairus for a minute. He was, he was a man who was desperate. I mean, you have to be really desperate to be a religious leader to go and fall at someone's feet and beg for them to come and help you. I don't know if I've ever been that desperate, to be honest, to go to someone and fall at their feet and beg them to help me. I don't know if I ever have. I've never needed food that bad. I've never been in a situation where I had to beg someone. That's how desperate this situation was. I imagine, I don't have children, but I imagine if your child was dying, you probably would. So he had begged. He had heard what Jesus could do. He'd heard about Jesus. Jesus was famous, so he'd heard about Jesus. He heard what he could do. And so he's like, I'm going to travel to where Jesus is. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to beg him to come and see my daughter. So that's what he did. He was so desperate. He was begging out of desperation. Could you imagine how he felt when Jesus picked him up because he was knelt down? Jesus picked him up and said, hey, buddy, I'm going to your house today. Your daughter's going to be fine. She's going to live. Can you imagine at that moment that Jairus, he's, he's, he went from desperation to hope. He went from being humbled and, and being sorrowful to joy, unspeakable joy. And the moment, that's, that's the moment that Mark Jairus, because he said, Jesus is going to my house. Jesus is going to my house. Jesus is going to my house. Have you ever been so excited when the Lord tells you something? When the Lord tells you he's going to do something and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's going to do it and you go around and you tell people, he's coming to my house. Jesus said this, he's going to do this. Jesus has said this and he's going to do this. The joy that you feel, the anticipation that you feel is beyond anything. When God has spoken to you himself and said, I'm going to do this. And so Jairus is, he, he's ecstatic. He's elated. But there's a setback. So you can imagine this. Jesus is walking along. He's a celebrity. Just imagine the throng of people that would be around Michael Jordan if he came in this room. Every one of you would forget I'm up here, and you'd be running back there to meet Michael Jordan. That's the same way with Jesus. Everybody was around Jesus. I mean, Jesus was probably like this, trying to walk and make this journey to Jairus' house. ton of people around him. He was a celebrity. Everybody wanted a piece of him. And so they're moving very slowly. It's not a fast, not a fast procession. And so then all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that in comes a lady, now, I'm, ima I'm imagining, this is Janice's imagination, that in this story in the Bible, that most of the people around Jesus would have been men, because that was the acceptable custom of the time. And so this lady, she comes in, so she just doesn't walk in and weave her way in, because she doesn't touch his shoulder, she touches his hem, which that implies to me that she is down. So she is down, just trying to weave her way in to touch the hem of his garment. And she finally gets it. She touches the hem, and then what happens? Jesus stops. And I can imagine Jairus is like, come on, Jesus. <laughs> come on, what are you doing? Why, why are you stopping? So you have a, a crowd of, a multitude of crowd that's moving very slowly. 
you have this sick lady that comes in. Jesus stops, and now, above all things, he's chatting with her. He starts talking to her. And, 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 and can you just imagine what Jairus is thinking? <laughs> he's like, <clears throat> Jesus, um, we got to go. Uh, the clock is ticking. Jesus, my daughter's dying. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And Jesus is chatting with this lady. Do you think he's forgotten about Jairus? He stopped to have a conversation with a woman that Jairus would not have even talked to or looked at because she was unclean. He wouldn't even have anything to do with her. But Jesus stopped and took time with her. So Jairus is frustrated because Jesus has, has allowed something to get in the way of what he wanted or what he needed and something get in the way of his miracle. Has anything ever gotten in the way of our miracles? Do you think that Jairus may have thought to himself, you know, look, my daughter is more important than her. My daughter is dying. She's not dying. My daughter is dying, and Jesus promised me. And besides, I got to Jesus first. Isn't that right? I got to Jesus first. He gave me my promise first. He gave me my word first. But now he stopped. So we have all had important situations where we have prayed. We have sought God's face. We have studied his word. And when we think that he's just about to do a miracle, when he's just about to come through for us, when he's just about to fulfill that promise that he has given us, we look up and someone over there is getting their blessing. Someone over there, their daughter or their son's coming back to the Lord. Someone over there is getting a healing. Someone over there is getting their financial breakthrough. Have we ever done that? They all have their answer, but I'm still here waiting on the promise that God gave me. And I begin to feel as if God has forgotten me and has moved on to someone else. Am I the only one here who's ever felt that? Has he forgotten you and moved on to someone else? Have you been waiting a long time for your miracle? Have you been waiting a while well, I'm just going to tell you that never think that God's attention span is short. Never. Don't ever think that he's forgotten you. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't stop praising him. Don't stop doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. We should never stop doing the things that God's told us to do. Seek his face to pray. But one very good example from Jairus is that he did not walk away. Don't ever walk away from the Lord. I'm telling you, he may take 20 years to give you your miracle, but don't ever walk away from the Lord. His promises are faithful. You can never be out of his sight. You are never out of his care. You are never out of his mind. He always has you in his hand. So an interruption is not an ending. I'm sure Jairus thought that was it. It's over. He's never going to make it to my house on time. So Jairus could have walked away, but he didn't. He was still a part of that crowd. And how do we know that? Well, someone came from his house and told him that his daughter was dead. She had just passed away. There was, she, Jesus hadn't made it in time. 
But because Jairus didn't walk away, Jesus leans over to him. He heard the news. He heard the, the messenger who, who gave the message to Jairus. And he's like, don't worry. Just believe. So if Jairus had walked away from Jesus, Jesus would never have heard that message about the little girl being dead. And he never would have said, don't worry. Just believe. It's okay. Now you can imagine that, that what he's thinking now. He's like, they were on the way to my house. They were on the way to my house, but there were too many people in the way. Too many people got in the way of what I needed. And then that lady comes along. That lady squeezes her way into the crowd, and Jesus stops and talks to her. All this had to happen, but if all this hadn't happened, my little girl would be alive right now. And you know why I think Jairus said this? It's because we would have done the same thing. If we're honest with ourselves, when we see someone else getting a blessing, mm-hmm, I've done it. We've all done it. He lost all hope. He'd suffered a huge setback. There was a huge change in the plan and what he thought the Lord was going to do for him. Remember, he had gone from, from desperation to hope when Jesus said, I'm going. Well, now he's gone from hope back to desperation. But even worse, devastation because the girl is dead. Before she was just sick, now she's dead. All his sorrow is now, his sorrow had been turned to joy. Now it's, it's back to, to sorrow again. And it's worse because she's dead. Jesus knew from the very beginning what he was doing. Do we trust him to know from the very beginning he knows what he's doing? He knew about the little girl. He had not forgotten her. He still had a plan. Look at verse 50. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe and she'll be healed. That just seems so simple to us. <laughs> don't worry about it. I mean, I think a lot of times that, that we think God's going to have these long luxury things to say to us. But sometimes it's really simple. Don't worry. She's going to be healed. And that's it. And we're like, that's almost too simple. <laughs> but he keeps it very simple. He's like, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Just believe. That's the key word right there is just believe. So interruptions are not endings. But because something has been delayed, it doesn't mean that he's not going to do it. Delay is not no. We need to learn to reject fear. We need to learn to reject unbelief. We need to learn to trust him. We need to learn to believe him. We need to learn to understand that he has everything under control, even a year of COVID. And all the things that you didn't get to do last year, if you were believing the Lord for a miracle last year, this was the year he was going to give me my financial breakthrough. This was the year my family was coming back to the Lord. They told me that they were going to come to church with me and the churches had to close. All of these things that, that, that were delayed, they're not denied. We just have to learn to believe. That's all he told Jairus to do was to believe. So why does God allow these interruptions? I think that's a million-dollar question, and if anyone here could answer it, you're, you got a gold star because it's a question that none of us can really answer. But I think from this story that there's some things that we can, we can draw out. 
I think one of the things that maybe he wants us to change the perspective of our lives. How many of you here are great at asking? Lord Jesus, I want. Lord Jesus, I need. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. We're good at asking. How many of us are good at waiting? We have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait. Waiting tests our faith and our patience. But the Bible tells us that our strength is renewed if we wait on the Lord. J. Iris had to wait for his blessing. He had to wait for it. As bad as he hated and as bad as the situation got, what did Jesus tell him to do still? Believe. Believe. Don't give up believing if you have to wait. Good things come to those who wait. How many of you have waited for your husbands or waited for your wives? There you go. I see some hands. Was it worth the wait? There's a couple amens there. So we have to wait. But if we have to wait and trust, we might just start to see things differently. We might start to see things from his perspective and not ours. That could be a good thing. To start to see things as the Lord sees them. We might start to say things in a different perspective, meaning not my self-perspective. My self-centered perspective. You know, J. Iris was like, my daughter, my situation, my need. Jesus wasn't really concerned about that because he's kingdom-minded. And he was concerned about the one person on the way that he could still win. He was more concerned about an eternal perspective of another soul than he was about your situation. We may also need a change of attitude. Ooh, that kind of hurts, doesn't it? I'm sorry. Stepping on toes is right. I'm stepping on my own toes, brothers. Don't worry. You know, but let's look at the details, a couple of details in the story that I find fascinating. Everything in God's is, is in the story, everything in the book is important. So the little girl, how old was the little girl? Twelve. How long had the lady had the issue of blood? Twelve years. So think about it. All this time that Jairus was watching his little girl grow up during these twelve years, all the progress that she made, she was becoming a beautiful young woman, and at the same time, during those same twelve years, this one woman was going downhill. She was decreasing. She was becoming weaker and weaker and desperate. She was desperate for healing. Maybe J. Iris had to learn to rejoice over the lady. Maybe we need to learn to rejoice when someone else gets their prayer answered and we don't. One little side note on the number 12 that I find fascinating. The number 12 in, Bible, in the Bible represents authority and perfection. God has all authority and he is perfect in all his ways. So even if we study the scriptures in the number 12 that he tells us, why would they tell us what the ages of the girl was or how many years the lady had the issue of blood? It's because God is perfect and he has all authority. So even in that, there's a, there's a message. So what if God was teaching Jairus to rejoice over the woman, and that rejoicing, his change of attitude, would release a resurrection power in his miracle. Not just a healing power, 
but a resurrecting power because Jairus's attitude changed. So instead of feeling jealous or slighted at the blessings of God in someone else's life, let's rejoice and it could very well release resurrecting power into our own situations. Are you with me? Are you with me? Because some of us don't just need a healing. We need a resurrecting. There is a difference. A healing, the person is still alive. Resurrection is they are dead. The situation is dead. There is no hope whatsoever. So there's a difference in a resurrection than in a healing. I want resurrection. There's more power in resurrection. I think sometimes also that we may need to change our focus. Maybe Jairus was so focused on the fear of losing his daughter that he failed to see that something else could happen. I think sometimes that we get so focused on the what ifs and the I don't knows that we fail to see that Jesus could do something entirely that's never been done before. How many times last year did you say, well, what if? Or we're still saying, well, what if? And how many times did we say, well, I don't know. I don't know. Those rob us of peace. Those rob us of joy. They fill us with anxiety. And we lose faith in God and in his, and then his ability to control. We all know the Bible says, fear not 365 days. That's one for every day of the year. There's a reason for that, I believe. But if we're walking around in fear, we're not trusting God. If we're trying to control our situation, we are not trusting God. If we're going around saying, well, what if, what if, what if, we are not trusting God. God didn't tell Jairus to do it. He said, just believe. Just believe it. It's that simple. Just believe. Jesus had something bigger in mind for Jairus than just healing her daughter. Let's think about this. Jairus was thinking, healing. I just need a healing. That's all I need from Jesus. I begged him for a healing. That's what he gave me. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Which he is. Jairus was thinking that he has healing in his hands. And Jesus was saying, I've got resurrection power in my hands. There's a difference. There's a difference. And so he is saying to us, God is saying to us, if you can trust me, this thing is going to change in intensity. You are not asking big enough. You're not praying big enough. You're not thinking big enough. I would rather have a resurrection, trust God for more than just a healing. And I'm willing to think bigger and pray bigger. Anybody else want something bigger? I'm going to start believing big, praying big, and trusting big. Is anybody with me? Do we think he can do more than just heal? Can he resurrect something that's been dead in your life, a dream that's been dead in your life? Can he resurrect that? Sometimes I think God just stops me in my tracks, and I hate it. I'm like the steam engine rolling down the tracks, 150 mile an hour, don't anything get in my way. But sometimes I have to stop and he stops me. 
Because he wants me to see something differently. He wants me to believe that there's something bigger. I've already got in mind what I think is going to happen. But God may want to do something bigger. And he has to stop me for that to happen. So a stop is not always a bad thing when God stops us. What if your expectations of God are not big enough? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever written down things that you expect from God? Things you've asked him for? I'm going to challenge you to do that. Take this week, write down things you're asking God for, and then go back to that list the next day and ask something bigger. Anybody accept that challenge? Do you believe he can do it? I believe he can. Sometimes God says, you know, I can go ahead and just do what you're asking. That's easy for me. I can do it. I can give you what you've asked for. But if you will trust me, if you will trust me and believe me, I can give you something that will absolutely blow your mind and be bigger and better than anything you ever imagined. The vision you have for this church pastor is not big enough. It's not big enough. It's not big enough. I love that you built this building this size. I mean, when this building came up, I was ecstatic. But it's not going to be big enough. It's not going to be big enough. God is bigger. He is bigger in every one of our lives. He is bigger than what we can even ask, think, or imagine. I've got plans for ministry in El Salvador, but I'm telling you, I'm stretching my plans. I even forgot to tell you that we're going to put in a, a mobile clinic this year because we're going to go out and win more souls. That's what we're doing this year. They can't come up, so we're going to go to them. So why not? Let's think bigger. Let's think bigger than we can ever imagine because God is bigger. And then one other thing that I want to mention is another reason that I feel like these, he allows these interruptions or these setbacks to come our way. And I think that we need to get the negative voices out of our heads and out of our lives. That's sometimes a sensitive topic, but just hear me out and I'll tell you why. Verses 51 and 52, that same chapter 8 of Luke says, When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone in with him except Peter, John, and James, the child's father, and the mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her, and Jesus said, Stop wailing. She is not dead, but asleep. So let's picture this again. The little girl's dead. We know that. They've already identified that she's dead. The undertaker's there at the house. They got the mourners there at the house. Back in those days, they paid people to come and mourn. So they got all these people crying, wailing, and all this commotion is going on. And every, Joe, can you imagine Jairus? He's, he's emotional. His daughter has died. And now all this commotion is happening at his house. I mean, what I would say, like, my goodness, why is the circus at my house today? Why are all these people here? I just, want, I just wanted my daughter to live. So all that is going on. And I know that the people that are here, Jairus is still saying, I know that the people are here. They know death. They know death. The mourners were there. The undertakers were there. That was their profession. So they know death. And Jairus, I can just, I can just imagine Jesus saying to him, Jairus, I know this is not what you imagined. This is not what you thought was going to happen today. You thought I was going to come in here, your little girl was going to be touched, she was going to be healed, and, and everything was going to be fine. But I wanted 
to give you something more than just a healing. I wanted to give you a resurrection. And I couldn't do that if we came straight here. There had to be a delay. I had to stop and heal that other woman before I could come to you because I wanted to give you more. If I had come straight here, you would be getting less. How many times we question God when he's trying to give us something else and we want this. What he has is more, but we don't understand it because we feel like it's, he's forgotten us. He's not forgotten us. What I'm going to give you is bigger and better and greater than anything you ever could imagine. So what does Jesus do? He says, everybody out. Get out. Everybody get out of here. He knew that the people crying and the undertaker were speaking death to the situation. They specialized in death. They knew what death smelled like. They knew what death looked like. They knew what death sounded like. So they were there. They were death. So you need to be sure that you know where you're getting your information from. Life or death. Who's speaking into you? Who's giving you information? Is it life or is it death? Because Jesus specializes in life. And resurrection. Those other people didn't have a clue. Because you know why? They had never seen it before. They'd never seen resurrection before. So Jesus pushes them all out. All the death believers, everything, he cleaned house. Jesus had something in mind that could not happen where there was fear, doubt, and negativity. He had to get them out. And when he did that, this is the exciting part. So when Jesus got all the fear and the doubt and the negativity out of the situation, things started to happen. Jesus could work in that environment. All he had to do was speak at that point. So he took the little girl by the hand and set her up. He said, go fix her peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She's hungry. That's all it took. She got up when the fear was gone. She got up when the negativity was gone. She got up when the doubt was out. All of these things had to be out of the way for Jesus to work a miracle. Some of us need to clean house. We need to get rid of doubt. We need to get rid of negativity. We need to get rid of fear. For Jesus to do a miracle, a resurrection power miracle in our life. His voice says that if we trust him, a miracle is on the way. If we trust him, resurrection power is on its way. If we drown out all the negative voices and hear his voice, change is coming into our lives and into our church. You may need to change whom you spend time with. You may need to change what you're watching on YouTube and social media and all this kind of stuff. There's some good things, but there's some stuff out there that's just wasting our time. It's robbing our spirits of peace. It's robbing our spirits of, of joy. It's putting fear and doubt into us. Let's get that out. Anything that puts fear into you is not of the Lord. So we need to be disciplined to reject that stuff. I don't want to watch it if it puts fear in my, in my spirit. I'm not going to watch it. I'm very careful about who speaks into me. I'm sorry, but I am very careful about who speaks into me. 
because I do not want negativity. I don't want something coming in and, and causing doubt in my belief in my Lord and what he can do. He's already done too much. And I know that the enemy would love to stop what he's going to do now. And he would love that to happen, but it's not going to because I'm not going to let that into me. We need to be strong enough and we need to be bold enough to say no. We need to be strong enough and bold enough to say no. I don't care if it hurts someone's feelings. If they love you, they are going to understand. That's our responsibility. No one can do that for us. Pastor Kent cannot stand up here and do it for you. We are all have to be responsible about what goes into us. Because what goes into us, if it causes doubt and fear and negativity, Jesus will not do a miracle. Or he may give you a little small one. It may not be the best that he has for you. I want the best. I want everything that he has. So Jairus could have listened to those around him, sent Jesus away. He could have limited his faith to the faith of those around him. Who are you walking around with? Who's in your prayer group? Who are you praying with? Who's your accountability partner? Do they have the same amount of faith as you? Well, that's great, but I really want someone who has a little more faith than me to grow my faith, to challenge my faith. I'm not happy being mediocre. I'm not happy staying the same all the time. I want more. So I want my faith to be greater than those around me. I cannot be influenced by others based on their faith. Does that make sense? One amen. Two amens. If we think about it, we are influenced by the people around us. If in our group, you have people who have doubt and unbelief, how is your faith ever going to be challenged? How's your faith going to grow? If you get with people who are on fire for God, believing that, you, that they can walk on water just like Peter did. That, was it Peter? Was it Peter that walked on? Yeah, Peter did. All of these things that, you, that they believe, you need to be in that group of people who are challenging you in your faith. Don't settle for mediocre. We are not mediocre Christians. God didn't call us to be mediocre Christians. He called us to be world changers. He called us to set the world on fire with the power of the Holy Ghost. We are Pentecostal forevermore. <laughs> we are Pentecostal. Tongue talking. I don't even know the, the phrase anymore. I've been out of the States too long. But we, we should be speaking in tongues every day, guys. We should be praying in the Holy Ghost. We should be changing the world because of our faith. We should be changing the world. So Jairus didn't believe the people around him. When Jesus said, get out, he didn't stop them. He believed Jesus. He believed life. He didn't listen to death. And because of that, Jairus saw the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. How many tonight need a resurrection move of God in your life or in a circumstance in your life or a situation in your life? We need more than just a healing we need God to really do something. But what do we see that we have to do? 
We have to do some things. Jairus had to do some things. He had to go begging and he stayed close to Jesus. He believed and obeyed. It's really pretty simple when we think about it. So God has miraculous intentions for us. I believe that. I believe he has miraculous intentions for each and every one of us. Whatever you're asking, it's not too hard for God. It's not too hard. If it's dead, it's not too hard for God. That child that's been away from the Lord for 20 years, I'm telling you, it is not too hard for God. That heart is not so hardened that the Lord cannot call him back. That financial situation where there's not a dime in the bank, it is not too hard. He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. He's just got to sell a couple of cows and you're good. It's not too hard. But I think sometimes that if we're honest, we know that setbacks and interruptions by God are real, but they are also part of God's plan. I think that we need to remember that they're not an ending. I think that we need to check our attitude. I'm preaching to, I'm preaching to me that we need to check our attitude sometimes. We need to check our focus sometimes. You know, with my attitude, am I really happy when someone else gets a blessing? If I see a sister or a brother over here rejoicing because the Lord has intervened in their situation, can I rejoice with them? Honestly, pure in heart, rejoice with them? Or am I still sitting over here on this pew saying, Lord, when's mine? We're a family. We should rejoice when people are rejoicing and not have the focus on me, me, me. We need to pay attention to our attitude. We need to ask bigger. We need to ask bigger. We need to ask bigger. We need to believe bigger. I'm challenging you guys this week to believe bigger. Believe something you've never believed for before. Believe bigger. And we need to clean our house. That may be tough, but we need to clean our house. We need to clean our house. So who are you going to believe? What voice will you listen to? Will you stay close to Jesus? Are you going to settle for a healing? Are you going to wait for a resurrection? And while you're waiting, look at someone else, help someone else, rejoice with someone else. These are things that he's asking us to do. Will your faith rise above the faith of those around you? Faith is key to so many things. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God has the best plans for your life. How many believe that? That God has the best plan for your life. Even if you can't see it, he has the best plan for your life. Just trust him. It's so easy to say, but just do it. Just trust him. You're not going to be able to fix it yourself anyway. So just trust him. And watch him work his resurrecting power in your situation. Amen.